0: Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast.
1: Hello, listener. Welcome along. This is episode 19 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast, viewing the fast moving world of business technology through the eyes of our expert panel, namely Digital Bulletin CEO Romilly Broad. Hello. And back after we gave him a couple of episodes off it's content director James Henderson. Hello. I was surprised
0: to get the call. I thought obviously Dan and B did so well I was thinking that you know I might be shuffled out for good but here I am back again.
1: Yeah, back in the cabinet mate after mm. a few months in the, in the on the back benches. Did did he miss us? I did. Uh
0: I'm not sure I, I as I said I'm not sure I was missed. They were very good. I thought they're excellent podcasts, but you know I'll try I'll I'll try my I'll try my best. That's all I can do, right?
2: That's all we can ask. Rom, how are you yeah. doing? Yeah, good, I think. I don't know, the sun's out. Things feel like maybe they're getting better. <laughs> what do you think?
1: You were saying this this
2: time last year, weren't we? Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally a year ago. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, um. yeah, I, I'm, I'm faintly optimistic that um, things are improving, at least where we are anyway. I know that's not, obviously not the case elsewhere, but
1: well, hopefully, yeah. we'll be able to do one of these in person again soon, which would be a novelty, wouldn't it?
2: Wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, a bit this... rubbish with masks, but yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> right, we have a cracking show for you today, listener. We'll be getting the panel's views on Microsoft's very big acquisition of Nuance Communications. We'll delve a little deeper into our case study on GHD Digital. And we have an exclusive interview with Enterprise Bot's co-founder, Ravina Mutha. But first, as always, here's your news roundup. One of the biggest stories from the month just passed was around the continued semiconductor shortage in car manufacturing and the news that Intel is teaming up with chip designers to try and plug the gaps. This is the first real strategic ploy from Pat Gelsinger since he rejoined the company as CEO. We also saw Grab announce its plans to go public via the world's biggest ever SPAC merger worth a reported $40 billion. The ride-hailing company now also offers food delivery and financial services across Southeast Asia. And commentators are calling this the continued rise of the super app more recently this week we have seen mastercard pay 850 million dollars for Ikata, which is a company in the fast-growing digital identity space apparently akata's technology will give mastercard the chance to detect fraudsters in real time and mastercard is betting big on companies in the digital security space right now elsewhere we learned that dell is finally spinning off of vmware Google is continuing to lose some of its most talented AI scientists in protest against the sacking of Timnit Gebru. And the UK is, quote, exploring a national digital currency called
0: Bitcoin.
1: There we go. Is
0: it? Oh, God. Well, that's, uh, what...
1: that's passed me by
2: completely that.
0: It was, it was only yesterday, so we'll, we'll forgive you. But I think Rishi Sunak said it. So as soon as he said it, obviously it lost any sort of credibility or coolness. So I'm sure we'll have to find another name now. But yeah, Britcoin. Hopefully it's better than Britbox, our sort of national streaming service. If it's anywhere near as bad as that compared to like the American versions, then I can't see it going very far.
1: Any, anything Brit is just Brexit in my head for some reason. Maybe that's
2: bad. <laughs> yeah, we don't want any more of that.
1: <laughs> anyway, as you know, listen, you can get access to the best reporting on, on those stories and many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But next, we are going to look into Microsoft's recently announced acquisition of Nuance Communications for $19.7 billion. Now, this is Microsoft's second biggest acquisition ever. Anyone know the biggest? LinkedIn. There he is. I've got that in my my notes. Yep, thanks. Bitcoin and LinkedIn. James Henderson, 2-0 up. And then there's going to be no more questions in this quiz, so you've won, James. Well done. Um, Nuance is known for its speech recognition technology. It helped Apple develop Siri and its solutions are used widely in the healthcare industry to help medical professionals be more efficient and offer better services to patients. Voice tech obviously has many more use cases. But first, James, tell us a bit about Nuance, because this certainly isn't a, a shiny tech startup with billions of dollars of funding, which has been sprung out of Harvard University, is it?
0: No, I mean, this might be brief, because obviously you took my little fact about LinkedIn. You've also uh, told everybody about how it was the base for siri so i've got very little left to say here um, <laughs> but you are you are right we are used to talking about when we talk about acquisitions so much of it are, are startups or you know companies that have that have only come to the fore in the last couple of years and they're unicorns and stuff like this this company's like nearly 50 years old and um it's had so many sort of iterations and stuff for people of a certain age, you might remember that scene in Only Falls and Horses with Trigger's broom about, you know, the different heads. And and it sort of, when I was looking into this company, it sort of reminded me of that because it's just been through so many, you know, mergers, acquisitions bought by this company and that company. But that sort of settled down in 2005. It was bought by a company called Scansoft um, that took its name. And since then, Nuance has bought more than 50, 50 companies in the sort of voice recognition market. And it's not quite got a monopoly, but it is the leader by, by some distance. Um, so it's had a sort of long path to this, but it's been around a long, long time. But yeah, as I said, more than 50 acquisitions um, over the last sort of 16 years in that area. So it's sort of swallowed, you know, all that innovation and, and startup ecosystem up. Um, and yeah, and, and I think that, that's why Microsoft has gone for it, obviously.
1: Yeah, it's Microsoft. as we said, Microsoft's second biggest ever acquisition. So a pretty big deal. James, what, why do you think Microsoft have done this? What what do you think their play is here with this acquisition? Uh
0: well, I think that one thing is that the the pandemic with with video conferencing and video calls has brought that to the fore, and that's probably not going to go away ever now. Not we might not be able to do it as much, but um I think we're we're always gonna use it, you know, it used to be phone calls. As a journalist, when I was doing an interview with somebody, I would call them up before the pandemic now it's always video calls right and i think that um they'll they'll be looking at this to, to use it as a plugin for its teams platform obviously i think that that that's definitely something it will do with um if you can imagine you know a teams meeting and afterwards you get a sort of transcript of it i think that there's they'll definitely be looking to integrate it into its, its cloud platform but i think you know the the the, the main reason it's brought it is because of its ambitions in the healthcare field, you know, there's no doubt about that.
1: Rom, yeah, James kind of mentioned it there. But Azure is obviously very widely used in the healthcare market It's probably Mm -hmm. the go to kind of system for healthcare providers, certainly in North America and and Europe. And Microsoft has this big thing about developing kind of industry specific cloud offerings. And this feels like nuances technology will be folded right into its healthcare offering.
2: Yeah, there's, there's, I, I mean, it's kind of a where do you start uh, question in terms of saying, well, what what's the applicability of things here in, in a healthcare context? As, Azure is huge in healthcare. I mean, what I, one of the things we do, uh, quite apart from publishing loads and loads of really cool stuff, is we provide media services to folks separately as well. And one of our clients is very, very deep in the healthcare industry and they are an Azure Uh, consultancy and expertise, and they provide lots of services to the NHS here in the UK. And um, if you just if you could list out the different things that you might be able to apply um, AI in particular into a healthcare context, but then a conversational kind of uh, layer on top of it. uh, Whether it's drug discovery, whether it's research, um, AI as a thing can be applicable there. But if you're looking at conversational type interfaces, which I think is what we're really talking about with nuance. there's all sorts of ways that you might be able to make uh large difficult jobs within an administrative capacity in large healthcare systems better by having uh you know voice interfaces interfaces as part of an automated or intelligent automation type solution there to streamline things and reduce costs um reporting medical clinical reporting is obviously, a huge part of just about anything you do in healthcare. And um, doctors are are already very used to, uh, and radiologists and things like that are already very used to sitting in front of a computer and talking into a microphone to to make their notes. Um, This sort of technology, if it can be proven to be completely reliable, can not only make that quicker and easier, it can also make the outputs of those sorts of things more standardised. And once you've done that, you can expose it to advanced analytics, because you're cleaning your data at the input point and you can start to do kind of some, some crazy things on the back of that. If you imagine you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of, um, radiologists, for example, using the same sort of system through Azure, you've got vast amounts of data that you can start to ask interesting questions to and stuff. So there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, uh, what the, the, the potential of all of this is, and you can, you can see how it makes perfect sense for Microsoft for sure.
1: It's interesting, though, James, isn't it? Because speech recognition technology is far from a new kind of thing on the block. As you said, Nuance has, has been around for decades playing in this space. Is this is this acquisition, though, proof that or almost a validation that this technology is going to become ubiquitous, especially in a healthcare setting, as Rom said?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, it's another one. It's another thing that sort of the pandemic has accelerated, really. We've had to get used to. You know, not speaking to people face to face and over technology and stuff and, and to find a way to capture that. If you think about voice recognition technology is is a really useful tool. I think that I, I speak personally for, for years I've I've wanted good voice recognition technology, you know, to to do my notes for me from from my interviews. And I think what I've definitely seen and I think I speak for, you know, a few other guys as well, is that the technology's really improved over the last couple of years. Able to take transcripts and um, recordings of, of people with strong accents, where maybe English isn't their first language, and really accurately represent what they've what they've done on the page. And the turnaround time is seconds. And you know, any writer will tell you that you know, put turning around an hour of transcription takes most of your day. So, I think on a really anecdotal level, I've seen that the, the a, a real drastic improvement in this sort of technology. Um, And if you think of that, you know, for a long time, we've been using voice recognition technology in our our homes or TVs and phones and um, smart speakers. And I think what we're beginning to see now is it going from maybe a a consumer, not a gimmick, but a sort of, you know, a niche consumer technology into a really valuable enterprise tool, which can be sort of integrated with CRMs and ERPs and collaboration tools. So I think we're seeing that leap now. And I think that, you know, the nuance um, acquisition is is really a, a validation of that.
1: Yeah, if you hook that up with the, the power of Azure as well, and, and you begin to imagine what Microsoft is going to be able to do with these technologies. Rom, you mentioned AI, conversational tech, speech recognition tech and AI are kind of bedfellows, aren't they? I think Satya Adela said healthcare is AI's most urgent application. Do you, do you agree with that?
2: Uh, yeah, I think 100%, particularly as I was saying through our work with our clients kind of separately. Um, we 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 know quite a bit about this as a result. Um, the, yeah, so I mean, you know, the voice technology stuff is an interface. It's, it enables you to, to do interesting things in new ways, but underneath that, you've got AI or machine learning as a, as a thing that you can apply to healthcare. And I, I already rattled off a few of them. So, uh, from research and drug discovery point perspectives. Um, it could have enormous benefits I mean 90% of drugs that go to trial fail at the minute and that's probably uh, partly because obviously you don't know enough about those drugs before you go and take them into a trial machine learning could help to transform all of that by you know uh, uh, through genomic studies and things like that to understand much more about the kind of drugs and how they're going to work and uh, and so on but then you can once you take it out of that kind of research capacity, you're then getting into the, you know, the, the sharp end of actual medical practice, where you're looking at diagnostics and things like that. And we, we're already seeing the benefits of uh, machine learning on things like radiology and looking at scans, and, and you know, making better predictions, or at least as good predictions, uh, or better diagnostics uh, than humans, or at least as good as quicker. So either way, it's better. Um, you can use machine learning and ai to monitor patients you just need to strap iot devices to their heads or something and then suddenly you know you've got a much better and more fulsome set of data about your population of patients um there's the reporting stuff i spoke about already where you know you can start to automate uh properly and reliably um the the clinical information that has to pass from one system to another as a patient uh, goes through at the, you know their, their journey from triage to treatment to recovery, or hopefully, uh, recovery. Um, and then finally, just, you know, the administrative side of, of running of medical systems, where it might be billing, it might be, um, you know, customer service, it could be any of these things where you can start applying intelligent automation with machine learning uh, elements and, and start to transform the cost, uh, the cost base of of increasingly stressed. um Healthcare systems dealing with, you know, pandemics, uh, the in- inevitable healthcare consequences of climate change, of ageing populations, of all that sort of stuff. So he's totally right. Right, brilliant. Time for us to move on, folks.
1: Um, that was a really good discussion. And after this short break, we'll be talking all things GHD Digital.
3: <laughs> Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter.
1: Digital Bulletin's latest case study saw us work with GHD, a leading professional services company for infrastructure markets in the Southern Hemisphere and North America. GHD supports energy companies, other utilities, construction companies, with major engineering projects, and three years ago, it created GHD Digital an arm of the business dedicated to helping clients embrace digital transformation and new technologies. We spoke to two key individuals at GHD Digital, Stephen Curran and Bob Armacost, to learn all about GHD's mission to bring its industries into the digital age. Here is Stephen outlining what he believes is the organization's USP.
4: What really makes GHD's Digital's value proposition unique is that it's a blend of and an extension of what we have historically been known for as an organization, right? Like by way of an example, if you take a look at uh, water, water has been a market that we've historically served as an organization for 90 years now. And over the last three years as GHD Digital has been born, primarily initially focused in, in our southern hemisphere, then expanding into North America, We've been able to extend what we can provide our our water clients in terms of the value and and services under one roof. Traditionally, you've come in and have asked us to help take a look at your water transmission systems and help you uh, point out where we might have structural faults in those transmission systems or where we need to make some um, targeted upgrades. Now, to be able to then go to that same client and say, in addition to that, We can also look at your advanced automation systems to make sure they're fully optimized. We can bring our data scientists in to help you as well, so that if you're concerned about what your water consumption rates are gonna be like in the future, we can model that for you and connect that back with our engineering capabilities. That's a compelling, compelling value proposition to be able to serve a client with those capabilities end to end. And it is the thing that really, excites me the most when I look at where else can we do that and where else can we extend the value we apply to our clients through this application of data, digital, analytics, AI, automation in a really meaningful way.
1: Rom, really interesting stuff there from Stephen. First of all, what, why is it that industries like water companies or energy, energy companies found it harder to I- embrace digital and especially many of GHD's clients are in the public sector, especially in that kind of public sector arena?
2: yeah well there's probably two things and obviously we've we've spent a lot of time with with water companies with other people like that um talking about what they're doing digitally the the challenges are really that they're often um uh companies that that are populated with a certain type of people and systems um they are it's the change management aspect of introducing new stuff is often quite challenging because they're not you know they're not silicon valley startups they're not particularly dynamic organisations you've got it, it's harder but but secondly money wise obviously they need to say well where are we going to invest our money and often that money is coming from taxpayers um at least in part and the you know the, the you you don't have an awful lot of room to manoeuvre do you focus on fixing the repair uh, fixing pipes and and other you know key pieces of infrastructure or do you invest in things that are, have got slightly looser roi calculations on them in the end, um, you combine those two things and, and decisions end up being made to, to, to minimise or to, you know, to deprioritize those sorts of investments. I think that's changing, though, it's certainly through our experience, and certainly talking through to GHD, it's becoming more and more obvious to these organisations that actually, there are uh, more clearly defined and easier to identify and shorter uh, term returns on investment to be made through being more digitally astute than maybe they realize. And I think that's, um, that's changing now. I think GHD would agree, right? I mean, it's well, uh, up an entire business to support it. <laughs> I think GHD would say, actually, that's where they see their
1: their massive opportunity, because actually, a lot of their clients maybe still don't necessarily realize that or haven't got the the means or capabilities to kind of tackle that kind of um, approach themselves. And, and GHD is obviously the middleman when it comes to supporting its clients with with those technologies um one of the one of the big areas obviously this is about kind of asset intensive organizations and that was another one of the challenges that the guys at ghd said was that when when you're dealing you know very simply with physical assets like huge water systems it's a it's a lot harder to try and imagine digital change than it is if you're more of a software-based company it's it's pretty obvious but the big area they they spoke about was digital twins and james we we kind of covered digital twins quite a lot don't we and across um digital bulletin and it's kind of exciting to imagine the possibilities that digital twin technologies can can have in infrastructure markets isn't it because we know the impact it's had in in areas like aerospace and 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 things like that
0: yeah definitely i think that these sort of heavy industry type sectors have have you know you are right it is a lot more difficult to imagine sort of digitalization and the. The benefits of digital technology when you're dealing a lot of wind turbines or oil rigs or you know whatever whatever it may be, um, but these sort of digital twins that the sort of real life digital representations of of those assets, um, and for a long for for a long time there's been technology such as BIM and even before that CAD, but actually what these what what has happened here is technologies like IoT, AI, and big data. Have converged with those technologies too, and sort of taken that to a completely different level, where you can visualize, you know, infrastructure assets, and and with the data coming from them, you know, make better predictions about, you know, life cycles, about about their performance. You know, you can basically prolong the lifetimes of these assets, which are hugely expensive. Um, so, I mean, that's number one, isn't it? If you if you're a company with a load of these physical assets by leveraging these technologies, you're going to be able to so save yourself millions. You know you'll be able to do uh, maintenance on these I- I- in a far more predictable way um, so it's it's really exciting it's taking some of these heavy industry sectors sort of into the digital age if you like we've, we've wrote we've written about it on a number of occasions and i think that it's one of one of the most exciting things for me is this ability to you know really represent real life assets and 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 sort of get data out of them in real time i think that's Obviously, it's really clever. Everything we write about it is really clever, but yeah, I, re- I really like it.
1: Uh, GHD was also kind of expert in in built environments, and we we cover the topic of smart cities quite a lot across digital bulletin and tech for good. And I, I feel like you know the the application of digital twins in that context is really exciting as well. Rom, it's interesting, isn't it, that GHD has carved off in a way what is a separate business? I mean, the guys called it a startup within a huge kind of company for GHD Digital. What What do you think was their thinking behind that?
2: Well, I think, you know, they actually in some ways, I mean, they're a company that have been around for a long time. Right. And they are have their real experiences in this kind of um, in the engineering stuff. So in some respects, you'd imagine that they are kind of similar as a company to a lot of their clients or have been. And so like everyone else, they've had to find an, a, a, an impetus towards innovation and, and a lot of companies have made similar decisions, which is to kind of create internal startups. And it's a bit like that, I suppose. Um, but it's also strategically, you know, vital that they do that to themselves while trying to engineer similar results with their clients, because, um, That's how you can really, really learn how to to take a company that's really focused on kind of in the ground, hardware, engineering type stuff and innovate. They can't credibly go and provide that kind of consultancy to anyone else unless they've already done it to themselves, which is what they have done very successfully, clearly. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, obviously, it's all good talking about
1: the technology side of things, but what is GHG's greater purpose here? Well, delivering the very best service to its clients is obviously imperative, but the company also realizes that its work has a direct and positive impact on areas like climate change, sustainability and social good. As Bob Armacost explains in this next clip.
3: Many of the clients we work with have stakeholders in the public domain, citizens, uh, uh, government agencies, uh, other uh, other public domain stakeholders. Our private clients uh, have shareholders uh, and other other stakeholders, uh, and uh, ultimately, uh, so many of the issues that we're working on with our clients uh, involve really critical uh, topics around humanity, um, uh, around sustainability, climate change, or urbanization. Certainly, the water scarcity, uh, and, you know, the certainly challenges with with energy and energy distribution greenhouse gas uh, reduction, uh, and so forth. And so uh, all of those uh, really have a direct translation into uh, making the world a better place and, and providing community benefits. So uh, I think that's just built into um, kind of our focus with our clients and, w- and what we seek to do every day.
1: Ron, Bob said they're building community benefit, and I think that's one of GHD's slogans, actually. So what he said there, I mean, there's a clear kind of transform for good element to what the work
2: GHG and GHG Digital is doing, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing we know, and in fact, we created an entire platform to talk about it called Tech for Good, which is where we understand that just about every industry everywhere um, needs, from for from for existential reasons, to adopt uh social or community or environmental benefit as a a kind of key performance indicator within their organizations otherwise they're going to stop being able to really function as a company um, uh, ultimately and so technology is is an absolutely central part of all of that which is to say um you know all all of the things james was talking about in terms of you know the, the the suite of technologies that you can look at now whether it's digital twins or iot or whatever All of them are fundamentally enabled by connectivity, which now, you know, with the emergence and rollout of 5G, makes a lot of this um, in combination with things like edge computing, makes all of this um, practicable. So um, where you are then in making those investments to say, well, hang on. Yeah, but ultimately, apart from saving some money, perhaps, and being a bit more efficient, why are we doing this? Well, how is this going to make it better? Well, if you when you apply it to things like heavy industries or utilities uh, or cities, um the benefits ultimately are in quality of life sustainability envi- lessening environmental impact and all that sort of stuff now there's an obvious and clear connection between uh making progress in those areas and financial return um you know ghd is is obviously positioning itself as as kind of central and Uh, in in all of that and and i tell you what there's nothing better than than doing those things to motivate your own internal people as well and i think they um because obviously you you need a purpose always um when you've got a bunch of people motivated not just by you know being part of a successful business but by uh, making meaningful differences to society and people um you can you can achieve remarkable things and i think you know these guys at ghd were clearly of that mind and we're very enthusiastic about it
1: yeah I think there was a real pride almost I think that came across in the work that they were doing especially for Stephen and Bob who are two of the senior people within GHD digital that the work they're doing is having that direct impact another another really interesting element of it for me was what GHD's GHD digital's plans are for the future and obviously they're a, they're a professional services company. So they, they, as I said earlier, they, they kind of act as the the middleman, but one thing they're really keen to do is build their own technology. And the, one of, one of the aspects of the story was exploring GHD's partnership with a company called Esri, which develops spatial analytics technology. Basically they map things so they can map anything from a building to a, to a whole area no matter how big or small and they're, they're a long-standing partner to ghd and actually those two companies are now sort of e- collaborating even more closely together to build unique solutions for ghd's clients and i think that's a really in- i think that's a really interesting angle isn't it why do you think it's so important for them to kind of get their foot into the tech door as it were and build their own solutions
0: well i again i think that you know, COVID is, is really accelerated this journey of digital transformations for enterprise and, um, and, and someone like GHD has, has to keep up. And I think they, they said themselves that they believe that sort of in-house development is, is critical to increase its, its spread of products and services and, and, obviously revenue streams as well. And it's part of that ecosystem of sort of partners, tech and people. I mean, uh, you, you, you spoke to those guys, did you get an idea of, you know, what, exactly what sort of technology that they'll they'll be looking to do is there an area they're particularly focused on to to begin with
1: unsurprisingly it's around it's around data um so that they're they're working with their clients to try and figure out how they can gather as much data because obviously you can imagine the power of having a, a good data strategy when you when you're a water company or an energy company there's so much opportunity there and i think using ai obviously um that combination of data and AI is really what they're trying to do. But with, with, Esri specifically, it's about basically tailor-made products. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, I'm sure they're going to have exploratory conversations around many different types of technologies at GHD. And what the, the kind of main takeaway for me from this case study was the potential here, um, cause I, I don't think it's really spoken about a lot when, when, when we cover stories of digital transformation It's often around industries like financial services, where, where the use cases are maybe much more prevalent and, and talked about. But in this industry, it feels like they are really on the cusp of change. And it was interesting speaking to Stephen. And he said when he was approached about the role, he wasn't sure initially, because he didn't know anything about GHD as a company. He certainly, um, yeah, he he, he he freely admitted that he wasn't certain about taking on the job, but he, he he told us that it's the best decision he's ever made in his career. And he, he is generally kind of excited about the future and, I think the the headline for the piece was revolutionizing industries. And it does feel like GHD is kind of in the middle of helping to do that for so many um, companies and businesses who haven't had the chance to embrace digital. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's all there for you listener. If you want to go and read it on digitalbulletin.com, it's the front cover story in issue 27 of digital bulletin, which is out at the end of last month and the videos and podcasts are available there too. Right, we're going to move on and next we're going to hear about a new trend in the chatbot space after this. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief. The latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. For this month's interview, I spoke to Ravina Mutha, co founder of Enterprise Bots. Chatbots have long been deployed in the customer service and business development areas. But since COVID 19, this technology has also been widely adopted to improve employee satisfaction and engagement. Ravina tells us the how and why. And we also discuss what types of organizations could benefit and the rise of voice bots, the next generation of chatbots. But first, here's Ravina on chatbots' adoption around employee engagement.
5: One of the things that we've noticed is that while customer service and sales and, you know, the common uh, customer facing use cases tend to be popular, um, Chatbots, especially in today's digital age, tend to really help uh, employees as well, whether it's on the HR front, whether it's on IT help helpdesk, so, for example, even taking care of simple queries like just a password reset. Uh, Chatbots can be a very fast, efficient, and omni-channel way of getting this done. Um, so, employees today want to be able to get quick answers to their questions, whether it's on uh, Slack, it's on Teams, it's on WhatsApp, email, and um, so, so I think It's more and more relevant every day that chatbots are helping employees as well.
1: What impact has the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent rise of remote working had on companies adopting chatbots more in in the workplace, would you say?
5: I think it boils down to really motivation with uh, employees. Uh, That's been one of the big topics that we're focused on in this COVID-19 world. Um, I, for one, would love to jump into office if I could, uh, like leave my little twins behind and just get back to real world communications. Um, So today, it's just so pertinent to have this kind of engagement with uh, chatbots and similar tools where uh, you really have employees bonding with each other, icebreakers, introducing new members the team as well Um, so it's kind of also uh, a fun component you know with employee engagement uh, and i think that's really something that's required in today's digital workplace age
1: it's really interesting isn't it you think maybe chatbots kind of replace conversations but is it fair to say actually like chatbots can help improve communications between colleagues especially in a remote setting
5: Absolutely. We even uh, do something called Donut. So we really pair up different employees with each other to get them uh, to know each other better, uh, because oftentimes we get kind of siloed, you know, marketing teams working with each other and uh, IT working with each other. So um, in today's day and age, I think the chatbot is really encouraging conversations uh, between people just by sending a quick nudge saying, hey, have you met this new team member that could share, I don't know, this kind of a like or this kind of uh, an expertise as you. So you, you have these common topics to touch on. So I think that's something really cool with chatbots today.
1: What are the type of organizations types of businesses that that do you believe could benefit most from the adoption of chatbots in the workplace
5: um honestly any business that has a large employee base or any business that has a large uh, customer interaction base so whether we look at internal use cases or external ones um it's really any organization let's say that has over 500 employees or so where it's even harder to kind of get um, you know conversations going and really the team dynamic uh, going in large teams i think that's that's a really relevant industry but for us uh, we've been quite focused on financial services so banking insurance uh, also railway uh, cuz these are really large companies that require this kind of an engagement
1: Okay, no, excellent. Ravina, tell us more about EnterpriseBot. Tell us about your company. I understand you're one of the co-founders and and how you think your company kind of offers something different in this space.
5: So EnterpriseBot is uh, in the conversational AI space. So we really focus on natural language processing. Uh, Unlike most other chatbots, we believe in a complete hyper automation suite. What I mean by this is we really look at omni-channel engagement. So whether it's uh, the common channels of chat, live chat, uh, voice bots, Alexa, uh, we also go one step ahead and actually do email automation, which tends to be a lot more complicated because as you can imagine, the texts are much longer. Uh, so the AI accuracy tends to be lower in this. So uh, that's something we focus on. And now we've also kind of launched our own iPass solution called Blitzico. The idea is that we should not only be able to answer questions in a natural way, but also automate the process behind it. So whether it's a claims query in the insurance space or whether it's just ordering a bank statement, we want to be able to actually go in the backend systems and fulfill these um, orders instead of just answering the question.
1: From a kind of technology, technical standpoint, do you feel like you're there, Ravina? Do you feel like you're able to achieve that now or is that kind of on your roadmap?
5: Absolutely. So that's one of the things that we as founders really focused on uh, with this business. The idea was always to get a very good uh, product, be, you know, cash flow positive, revenue generating really at a stage where um, we can now scale things up. So it's a really cool uh, space to be in where the product's ready and we're really looking to gain more and more traction.
1: And finally, Ravina, in terms of the industry at large, what are the kind of new trends that you leaders inside it are talking about? What are the the new, it might be new technologies or, or just the, a new kind of direction for the chatbot industry? What are the exciting things that are happening in now and in the future?
5: I think one of the most exciting things has been around voice. Uh, we're seeing more and more that voice bots are really picking up. Uh, We want to be in a position where you can pick up the phone, you can talk to a bot and have the most natural conversation possible without really knowing if you're talking to a bot. Uh, And that's really where the future is headed, whether it's um, Alexa or Google or us even... Um, the other thing that we're really seeing uh, again drills down to kind of the process automation bit, where even if you're on a chat channel or you're on WhatsApp, you're able to have a conversation where you can get an end-to-end resolution rather than just a basic FAQ answer, and that's really um, exciting for the future.
1: Right, everybody, we are done, but we're not going to let anyone go until we've pointed you in the direction of some more things. Now, the GHD digital case study, as we discussed, had some very strong tech for good themes. And we might have mentioned this before. In fact, Ron mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but we have a whole platform dedicated to tech for good. It's a monthly magazine, a weekly podcast and loads in between. Just head over to techforgood.net issue 28 of the digital bulletin magazine will be coming out next week we're going to release james so we'll go and work on that straight away so look out for that but in the meantime all that's left for me to do is say thank you to my guests romley broad no no thank you and the returning james henderson
0: thank you very much for having me back very much enjoyed it
1: and we'll be back in a month's time listeners. speak to you then
3: That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast, brought to you by Bulletin Media. Listen and subscribe to our range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.